0: CHAPTER Six: of Undue Caesar. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording done by Jules harlock of Mississauga, Ontario, Canada. Unto Caesar by Baroness Orksey chapter six i am alpha and omega the beginning and the end the first and the last revelations twenty two verse thirteen and after that silence and peace silence save for the moaning of the child nola who in a passionate outburst of grief had thrown herself on the body of her mother dea flavia stood there still and calm her young face scarce less white than the clinging folds of her tunic her unfathomable eyes fixed upon the pathetic group at her feet the weeping girl and the dead woman she seemed almost dazed like one who does not understand and a quaint puzzled frown appeared upon the whiteness of her brow once she raised her eyes to the praefect and encountered his gaze strangely contemptuous and wrathful fixed upon her own and anon she shuddered when a pitiful moan from Nola echoed from end to end along the marbled walls around and the crowd of idlers began slowly to disperse in groups of twos and threes they went their sandaled feet making a soft rustling noise against the flagstones of the forum and their cloaks of thin woolen stuff floating out behind them as they walked the young patricians were the first to go the scene had ceased to be amusing and dea flavia was not like to bestow another smile they thought it best to retire to their luxurious homes for they vaguely resented the majesty of death which clung round the dead freedwoman and the young living slave they hoped to forget in the course of the noonday sleep and the subsequent delights of the table the painful events which had so unpleasantly stirred their shallow hearts dea flavia paid no heed to them as they murmured words of leave-taking in her ear tis doubtful if she saw one of them or cared if they went or stayed at an order from the praefect the auction sale was abruptly suspended the lectors drove the herds of human cattle together preparatory to taking them to their quarters on the slopes of the aventine where they would remain until the morrow whilst the scribes and auctioneers made haste to scramble down from the heights of the rostrum the heat of the day having rendered that elevated position well-nigh unbearable only dea flavia's retinue lingered in the forum standing at a respectful distance they surrounded the gorgeously draped litter waiting silently and timorous the further pleasure of their mistress and behind dea flavia her two ethiopian slaves stolidly holding the palm-leaves to shield her head against the blazing sun which so mercilessly seared their own naked shoulders grant me leave to escort thee to thy litter augusta murmured a timid voice it was young hortensius martius who spoke he had approached the castata and now stood timid and a suppliant beside dea flavia with his curly head bare to the scorching sun and his back bent in slave-like deference but the young girl seemed not to hear him and even after he had twice repeated his request she turned to him with uncomprehending eyes i would not leave thee Dia," he said until i saw thee safely among thy slaves and thy clients then at last did she speak but her voice sounded toneless and dull as of one who speaks in a dream i thank thee good hortensius she said but my slaves are close at hand and i would prefer to be left alone to insist further would have been churlish hortensius martius well versed in the every phase of decorum bowed his head in obedience and retired to his litter but he told his slaves not to bear him away from the forum altogether but to place the litter down under the arcades of the tabernae, and then to stand round it so that it could not be seen whilst he himself could still keep watch over the, the movements of dea but she in the meanwhile remained in the same inert position standing listlessly beside the body of menecreta her face expressing puzzlement rather than horror as if within her soul she was trying to reconcile the events of the last few moments with her previous conceptions of what the tenor of her life should be the curse of menecreta had found sudden and awful fulfilment and dea remained vaguely wondering whether the gods had been asleep on this hot late summer's day and forgotten to shield their favourite daughter against the buffetings of fate a freed woman had roused superstitious fear in the heart of a daughter of the Caesars. surely there must be something very wrong in the administrations of the affairs of this world nay more for the freed woman unconscious of her own impiety had triumphed in the end her death majestic and sublime in its suddenness had set the seal upon her malediction and dea flavia marvelled that the dead woman remained so calm her eyes so still when if indeed jupiter had been aroused by the monstrous sacrilege she must now be facing the terrors of his judgments and taurus antinor watched her in silence while she stood thus unconscious of his gaze a perfect picture of exquisite womanhood set in a frame of marble temples and colonnades a dome of turquoise above her head the palm leaves above her throwing a dense blue shadow on her golden hair and the white tunic on her shoulders he had heard much of dea flavia the daughter of claudius octavius and now the ward of the emperor caligula since his return from syria a year ago and he had oft seen her gilded and rose-draped litter gliding along the sacra villa or the villa appia surrounded with its numerous retinue but he had never seen her so close as this nor had he heard her speak she was a mere child and still under the tutelage of her despotic father when he taurus antinor tired of the enervating influences of decadent rome had obtained leave from the emperor tiberius to go to syria as its governor the imperator was glad enough to let him go taurus antinor named anglicanus was more popular with the army and the plebes than any autocratic ruler could wish he went to syria and remained there half a dozen years the jealousy of one emperor had sent him thither and twas the jealousy of another that called him back to rome syria had liked its governor over well and cassius julius caesar caligula would not brook rivalry in the allegiance owed to himself alone by his subjects even by those who dwelt in the remotest provinces of the empire but on his return to rome the powerful personality of taurus antinor soon imposed itself upon the fierce and maniacal despot caligula though he must in reality have hated the anglicanus as much and more than he hated all men gave grudging admiration to his independence of spirit and to his fearless tongue in the midst of an entourage composed of lying sycophants and of treacherous minions the Caesar seemed to feel in the presence of the stranger a sense of security and of trust some writers have averred that Caligula looked on taurus antinor as a kind of personal fetish who kept the wrath of the gods averted from his imperial head be that as it may there is no doubt that tyrant exerted his utmost power to keep taurus near his person showering upon him those honours and titles of which he would have been equally ready to deprive him had the stranger at any time ran counter to his will and on when the Caesar thought it incumbent upon his dignity to start on a military expedition he forced antinor to accept the praefecture of the city in order to keep him permanently settled in rome the anglicanus accepted the power which was almost supreme in the absence of the Caesar, even gave the oath demanded of him by the emperor that he would remain at his post until the termination of the proposed military expedition but it was easy to see that the dignities for which others would have fought and striven to the uttermost were not really to the liking of torres avowedly wilful of temper he had since his return from syria became even more silent more self-centred than before many called him morose and voted him either treacherous or secretly ambitious others averred that he was either very arrogant or frankly dull certain it is that he held himself very much aloof from the society of his kind and persistently refused to mix with the young elegants of the day either in their circles or their baths their private parties or public entertainments thus it was that the praefect found himself to-day for the first time in the near presence of dea flavia the acknowledged queen of that same society which he declined to frequent and as he grudgingly admitted to himself that she was beautiful beyond what men had said of her he remembered all the tales which he had heard of her callous pride her cold dignity and of that cruel disdain with which she rejected all homage and broke the hearts of those whom her beauty had brought to her feet for the moment however she struck him as more pathetic than fearsome she looked lonely just now like a stately lily blooming alone in a deserted garden he was wroth with her for what she had done to and for her childish caprice and opposition to his will but at the same time he who had so seldom felt pity for those whom a just punishment had overtaken was sorry for this young girl for in her case retribution had been severe and out of all proportion to her fault therefore he approached her almost with deference and forced his rough voice to gentleness as he said to her the hour is late o dea flavia i myself must leave the forum now i would wish to see thee safe amongst thy women she turned her blue eyes upon him his voice had roused her from her meditations and recalled to her that sense of proud dignity with which she loved to surround herself as with an invisible walls she must have seen the pity in his eyes for he did not try to hide it but it seemed to anger her as coming from this man who to her mind was the primary cause of her present trouble she looked for a moment or two on him as if trying to recollect his very existence and no importunate slave would ever encounter such complete disdain as felt on the praefect at this moment from dea flavia's glance i will return to my palace at the hour which pleases me most o Prefectus," she said coldly and when the child nola being more composed is ready to accompany me nay he rejoined in his accustomed rough way the slave nola is not to thee now she will be looked after as the state directs the slave is mine she retorted curtly she shall come with me and even as she spoke she drew herself up to her full height more like he thought than ever to a stately lily now the crown of gold upon her head caught a glint from the noonday sun and the folds of her white tunic fell straight and rigid from her shoulders down to her feet it seemed strange to him that one so young so exquisitely pure should thus be left all alone to face the hard moments of life her very disdain for him her wilfulness seemed to him pathetic for they showed her simple ignorance of the many cruelties which life must of necessity have in store for her as for yielding to her present mood he had no thought of it it was caprice originally which had caused her to defy his will and to break old menecreta's heart she had invoked strict adherence to the law for the sole purpose of indulging this caprice now he was tempted also to stand upon the law and to defy her tyrannical will even at the cost of his own inclination in the matter he would not trust her with the child nola now he had other plans for the orphan girl rendered lonely and desolate through a great lady's whim and he would have felt degradation in the thought that dea flavia should impose her will on him in this he knew her power of course she was a near kinswoman of the emperor and the child of his adoption she was all-powerful with the Caesar, as with all men through the might of his personality as much as through that of her wealth but he had no thought of yielding nor any thought of fear it seemed as if in the heat-laden atmosphere two mighty wills had suddenly clashed one against the other brandishing ghostly steels. his will against hers the might of manhood and of strength against the word of a beautiful woman nor was the contest unequal if he could crush her with a touch of his hand she could destroy him with one word in the Caesar's ear she had as her ally the full unbridled might of the house of Caesar, while against her there was only this stranger a descendant of a freed woman from a strange land for the nonce his influence was great over the mind of the quasi madman who sat on the emperor's throne but any moment any event the whisper of an enemy the word of a woman might put an end to his power all this dea flavia knew and knowing it found pleasure in toying with his wrath armed with the triple weapon of her beauty her purity and her power she taunted him with his impotence and smiled with scornful pity upon his weakness of his manhood even now she turned to nola and said with gentle firmness get up girl and come with me but at her words the last vestige of deference fled from the praefect's manner pity now would have been weak folly had he yielded he would have despised himself even as this proud girl now affected to scorn him he interposed his massive figure between dea flavia and the slave and said loudly by thy leave nola the daughter of menecreta is the property of the state and tis i will decide whether she goeth now until to-morrow only Taras Antonor, she rejoined coldly for to-morrow she must be in the slave-market again when my agents will bid for and buy her according to my will nay she shall not be put up for sale to-morrow by whose authority o prefectus? by mine the state hath given me leave to purchase privately a number of slaves from the late censor's household tis my intention to purchase nola thus thou hast no right she said still speaking with outward calm though her whole soul rebelled against the arrogance of this man who dared to thwart her will to gainsay her word and set up his dictates against hers thou hast no right thus to take the law in thine own hands nay as to that he replied with equal calm i'll answer for mine own actions but the slave nola shall not pass into thy hands augusta thou hast wrought quite enough mischief as it is to be content and go thy way leave the child in peace in these days of unbridled passions and unfettered tyranny a man who spoke thus to the daughter of the Caesars spoke at the peril of his life both dea flavia and taurus antinor knew this when they faced one another eye to eye their very souls in rebellion one against the other his own turbulent and fierce with the hot blood from a remote land coursing in his veins blinding him to his own advantage to his own future, to everything save to his feeling of independence at all costs from the oppression of this family of tyrants, her own almost serene in its consciousness of limitless power. For the moment her sense of dignity prevailed. Whatever she might do in the future, she was comparatively helpless now. The praefect in the discharge of his functions, second only to the Caesar, was all-powerful where he stood taurus antinor was still the praefect of rome still a member of the senate and the favourite of caligua he had her at a disadvantage now just as she had held him a while ago when she forced on the public sale of the girl Nola therefore though with a look she would have crushed the insolent and her delicate hands were clenched into fists that would have chastised him then and there if they had the strength she returned his look of fierce defiance with her usual one of calm thou hast spoken Taurus antinor she said coldly and in deference to the law which thou dost represent i bow to thy commands art thou content she added seeing that he made no reply content he asked puzzled at her meaning ay she said i ask thee if thou wert content thou hast humiliated a daughter of caesar a humiliation which she is not like to forget i crave my pardon if i have transgressed beyond the limits of my duty thy duty nay taras antinor a man's duty are as varied as a woman's moods and he is wisest who knows how to adapt the one to the other tis not good remember to run counter to Dia flavia's will tis much that thou must have forgotten o Prefect, ere thou didst set thy so-called duty above the fulfilment of my wish nay gracious lady he said simply i had forgotten nothing not even that archelaus menas the sculptor died for having angered thee nor that julius campanius perished in exile and young decretus in feathers because of thy enmity thou seest that though somewhat of a stranger in rome i know much of its secret history and though mine eyes had until now never beheld thy loveliness yet had mine ears heard much of thy power yet at its first encounter thou didst defy it i have no mother to mourn over my death like young decretus he said curtly nor yet a wife to make into a sorrowing widow like the sculptor menes if it was his desire to break through the barrier of well-nigh insolent calm which she seemed to have set round her dainty person, then he succeeded over well for she winced at his words like one who had received a blow, and her eyes dark with anger narrowed until they became mere slits fringed by her golden lashes. But thou hast a life, Taurus antenor, she said, and life is a precious possession he shrugged his massive shoulders and a curious smile played around his lips and thou canst order that precious possession to be taken from me he said lightly is that what thou wouldst say that and more for thou hast other precious treasures more precious mayhap than life so guard them well o taris nay gracious lady he rejoined still smiling i have but one soul as i have one life and that too is in the hands of god of which god she asked quaintly he did not reply but pointed upward at the vivid dome of blue against which the white perigian marbles glittered in the sun of him whose empire is mightier than that of rome she looked on him in astonishment apparently she did not understand him nor did he try to explain but it seemed to her as if her whole appearance had changed suddenly and her thoughts flew back to that which she had witnessed a year ago when she was in ostia and she had seen a raging tempest become suddenly stilled there is no mightier empire than that of rome she said proudly and methinks thou art a traitor o taurus antinor else thou wouldst not speak of any emperor save of caesar my kinsman i spoke not of an emperor gracious lady he said simply but thy thoughts were of one whose empire was mightier than that of rome my thoughts he said were of a man whom i saw whilst travelling through judea a few years ago he was poor and dwelt among the fishermen of galilee they stood round him and listened whilst he talked when he walked they followed him for a halo of glory was upon him and the words which he spoke were such that once heard they could never be forgotten didst thou too hear those marvellous words o taurus antinor she asked only twice he replied did i hear the words which he spoke i mingled with the crowd and once when his eyes fell upon me it seemed to me as if all the secrets of life and death were suddenly revealed to me his eyes fell upon me i was one of a multitude but from that moment i knew that life on this earth would never be precious to me again since the most precious gift man hath is his immortality thou speakest of strange matters o praefect she rejoined and meseems there is treason in what thou hast sayest who is this man whose very look hath made a slave of thee a slave to his will thou sayest truly o daughter of caesar could i hear his command i would follow him through life and to death at times even now meseems that i can hear his voice and see his eyes thou hast never seen such eyes augusta fixed upon my very soul i saw them just now right across the forum when the wretched freedwoman clung shrieking round my shins they looked at me and asked me to be merciful they did not command they begged asking for the pity that lay dormant in my soul and now i know that if those same eyes looked at me again and asked for every drop of my blood if they asked me to bear death torture or even shame i would become as thou truly sayest a slave once or twice while he spoke she had tried to interrupt him but every time the words she would have spoken had died upon her lips he looked so strange this praefect of rome whose judgments every one feared whose strict adherence to the duty of young elegance of the day were ever fond of deriding he looked very strange now and spoke such strange words words that she resented bitterly for they sounded like treason to the house of Caesar, of which she was so coldly proud to her Caesar was a god and she as his kinswoman had been brought up to worship in him not the man that might be vile but the supreme power in the empire which he represented she did not pause to think if he were base tyrannical a half-crazy despot without a mind or heart or sensibilities she knew what she said about him she had even seen at times things from which she recoiled in unspeakable horror but her soul still pure and still proud was able to dissociate the abstract idea of the holy and the mighty caesar from its present hideous embodiment and this same holy reverence for caesar she looked for in all those who she deemed were worthy to stand not as his equals for only the gods were that but nigh to his holy person his own kinsmen first then his senate his magistrates and his patricians and above all this man almost a stranger whom the Caesar had deigned to honour with his confidence and yet this same stranger spoke calmly of another of a man whom he would obey as a slave in all things whom he would follow even to death a man whose might he proclaimed above that of Caesar himself but who is this man she exclaimed at last almost involuntarily a poor man from galilee he replied what is he called out there they call him jesus of nazareth and where is he now he died upon the cross in jerusalem seven years ago upon the cross she exclaimed what had he done he had dwelt among the poor and brought them contentment and peace he had lived amongst men and taught them love and charity so the roman proconsul ordered him to be crucified and those whom he had rendered happy rejoiced over his death methinks i did hear something of this i was a child then but already i took much interest in the affairs of state and my father spoke off freely in my presence i remember his talking of a demagogue over in judea who claimed to be the king of the jews and who was punished for treason and sedition but I also heard that he did but little mischief, since only a troop of ignorant fisher-folk followed and listened to him. Ignorant fisher-folk thou saidst, it truly, O dea Flavia, Yet I have it in my mind that anon the knee of every patrician, I of every Caesar shall bend before the mighty throne of that man from Galilee and thus didst learn thy lesson of treason o praefect she retorted demagogues and traitors from judea have sown the seeds of treachery in thy mind and whilst thou dost receive with both hands the gifts of caesar my kinsman thou dost set up another above him and dost homage to him in thy heart i in my heart gracious lady For I am even more ignorant than those fishermen from Galilee who heard every word spoken by Jesus of Nazareth. I heard him but twice in my life, and once only did his eyes rest upon me, and they enchained my heart to his service, though I know but little yet of what he would have me do. No doubt he would have thee turn traitor to thine emperor, and to acclaim him, the demagogue, as imperator before the senate and the army he i told thee that he was dead he interposed simply and that his words had made thee rebellious to Caesar and insolent to me thine humble servant o oh augusta he rejoined smiling in spite of himself for now she was just like an angry child wilt but command and see how i will obey the girl Tnola, she said haughtily in that alone i must deny thee then tie my shoe it hath come undone the tone with which she had said this was so arrogant and so harsh that even her slaves behind her turned frightened eyes on the praefect who was known to be so proud and on whom the curt command must have had the effect of a sudden whiplash on the face she had spoken as if the humblest of her menials finding pleasure in putting this insult on the man who had dared to thwart and irritate her but she had not spoken deliberately it had been an impulse an irresistible desire to see him down on his knees in the position only fit for slaves directly the words had left her mouth she already regretted them for his refusal now would have been doubly humiliating for herself and her good sense had told her already that no patrician least of all taurus antinor would submit quietly to public insult and ridicule even from her the quick more gentle word was already on her lips the look of mute apology was struggling to her eyes when to her astonishment the praefect without a word was down on his knees before her nay she said i did but jest the honour he said quietly is too great o daughter of Caesar, that i should forgo it now his powerful shoulders were bent almost to the level of the ground and she looked down on him more puzzled than ever at this stranger whose every action seemed different from those of his fellow-men she put her little foot slightly forward and as he tied the string of her shoe she saw how slender was his hand firm yet tapering down slightly to the elegant finger-tips the hand of a patrician even though he hailed from the barbaric north suddenly she smiled but this he did not see for he was still intent upon the shoe but she felt that those slender hands of his were singularly clumsy and she smiled because she had recollected how like his fellow-men he really was how he evidently forgot his wrath and sank his pride for the pleasure of kneeling at her feet to this homage she was well accustomed many there were in rome who at this moment would gladly have changed places with the praefect more than one great patrician had craved the honour of tying her shoe more than one patrician hand had trembled whilst performing this service and dea flavia smiled because already she guessed or thought she had guessed what would follow the tying of her shoe a humble kiss upon her foot the natural homage of a man to her beauty and to her power the daughter of Caesar smiled because the spirit of childlike waywardness was in her and she thought that she would like this slave-like homage from this man whom her wrath and threats had left impassive but whom her beauty had at last brought down to his knees and thus smiling she waited patiently content that he should be clumsy glad that in a distance under the arcade of the tabernae, she had spied hortensius martius watching with wrathful eyes every movement of the praefect she wondered if the young exquisite had heard the wordy warfare between herself and the proud man who now knelt quite awkwardly at her feet and she guessed that what hortensius had seen and heard that he would retail at full length to his friends in the course of the banquet given by cassius nepos to-morrow night for the moment she felt almost sorry for the giant brought down to his knees the kiss which she so confidently anticipated would of truth completed his surrender since she had resolved to make him kiss the dust by suddenly withdrawing her foot from under his lips and then to laugh at him and to allow her slaves to laugh and jeer at him as he lay sprawling in the dust his huge arms lying crosswise on the flagstones before her the spirit of mischief was in her the love to tease a helpless giant so for the nonce anger almost died out within her and her eyes looked clear and blue as triumph and joy danced within their depths but now taurus antinor had finished tying her shoe he did not stoop further nor did he embrace the dust but he straightened his broad shoulders and raised himself from his knees without rendering that homage which was expected of him hast further commands for thy servant o daughter of caesar he asked calmly none she replied curtly and calling her slaves to her she entered her litter and drew its curtains closely round her so that she should no longer be offended by his sight chapter six